Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, you've got tech on your mind, maybe trying to find some post-COVID tech winners. Where does that take you? Yeah, um, th thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I think that for the last five years, you could almost throw darts in the tech sector and land on winners. And we really don't think that's the case anymore going forward um, for a few reasons, uh, beyond kind of the common conclusion that rising rates is gonna impact the valuation of these long-term equities. Um, I, I think it's increasingly clear that in many areas of tech, the demand was pulled forward from 2022 and 2023. Uh, you know, the pandemic made investments in things like cloud migration uh, and digitization of business, business practices kind of mission critical. And um, many customers spent aggressively to kind of uh, increase those capabilities. And um, I think that, you know, for now, we're seeing sort of a lot of tech companies being a little cautious in their guidance coming going forward because a lot of that demand is going to be hard to to comp against. Uh, I also believe that there was a lot of um, capital formation that went into funding a lot of these IPOs, um, sort of lower quality or or niche companies um, with with some unreachable ambitions. And hmm. those companies accounted for some percentage of the growth of the other tech names. Um, and the demand for from the weaker players is going to kind of be the first to retrench. We think. How do you define weak, uh, Chris? Um, just about every cloud business, it seems like, uh, that I have on the show, they're almost never money-making. Uh, it seems like they have huge demand for their product, revenue soaring. Some of these companies uh, making uh, billions of dollars a quarter at this point, uh, but the vast majority still unprofitable. How can that be justified now after what happened during COVID? How do these businesses not make money at this point? Are those businesses to be avoided? Yeah, it's a very fair question. I think what you'll find, though, is a lot of the tech companies that are uh, unprofitable are unprofitable by choice. Um, you know, if you look at a lot of them, they have gross margins in the 70 to 80 percent range, um, but they're spending very heavily on sales and marketing and research and development to really capture the market opportunity in front of them. So if they wanted to turn that off, you know, they could be profitable today. But I think that for the most part, they're doing the right thing in investing in, you know, behind um, the advantages that they have to try to capture a larger percent of, of a really big market in front of them. Mm. Uh, are these companies uh, then the, the giants, the biggest ones? Uh, we were just looking at some of the cloud performers today, uh, or are they these smaller, nimble ones? I mean, the, the Zoom story kind of being the most extreme example of uh, uh, a company here that's kind of trying to figure out where it stands, but uh, there's a, a long list of uh, mid to small cap cloud companies that may only have uh, one or two services. Uh, does that mean we go for the bigger ones that have been around for a long time, proven? Walk me through how the uh, winners stand out to you. Yeah, so what we do at Kane Anderson Rudnick is really focus on the business models and the competitive advantages. And we're trying to find you know, the, the very best player that's truly differentiated, um, that has some sort of qualitative protection from uh, competitors that are gonna come in to try to replicate their business model. Uh, I think what you find in, in a lot of these markets is you've had some fast followers uh, and you've created a situation where it's harder to identify the differentiation between some of these cloud providers. So I think it's really important to focus on, you know, sort of the, the best of the best. And we believe that those will eventually deliver uh, the exceptional economic profits that everybody's kind of used to from, from software businesses. One of the stocks you like, uh, Global E Online, GLBE. Tell me about it. Uh, not one that I hear very often. Yeah, it's a smaller name, um, but if you if you think about um, uh, you know online commerce, it's it's very difficult to do high quality shopping experiences online domestically. Um, but increasingly, companies want to do that internationally as well. And if you think about having to navigate a lot of complex languages, different currencies, uh, local payments, 
um, even even the, um, the you know the tariffs and international delivery that you have to do, that has to be set up in every individual country, and it's very difficult for some companies to to go ahead and do that, or very costly. Globally has a, kind of a turnkey solution that allows you to take your existing content, existing website, and um, you know sort of enable it for international commerce. Uh, a really strong proof point um, was you know Shopify, the large e-commerce enabler. Um, when companies on Shopify want to do cross-border payments, uh, Global E is the exclusive partner that Shopify uh, directs them to to do mm. those the, the, the cross-border commerce. So um, we you know we think they've they've created a very sustainably differentiated uh, product, and they have a lot of very strong reference cases in the sort of their partnership with Shopify and some really large brands like Louis Vuitton that have uh, you know uh, started utilizing their services. Very interesting stuff, uh, uh, an ICE connection for us that certainly goes overlooked in the Shopify uh, conversation. So uh, we will keep an eye on it as uh, it uh, had reports its uh, fourth earnings after its debut a year ago, almost exactly a year ago in a couple months here. Uh, Chris, thanks a lot for the details and the uh, specifics here for the pick. Always appreciate that.